Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're on Chapter 4 of our uh, uh, newest, newer book, uh, How to Be an Atheist by Mitch Stokes. And uh, we just kind of set up the, for our last uh, episode um, the the section on science and uh, exactly how to be good atheists, and that's what we want to do. We also want to be good skeptics, and uh, Mitch uh, Stokes talks about being sober skeptics. So yeah. we, we don't want to discount everything, and we also don't want to um, kind of pare everything down to, uh, <coughs> you know, almost uh, believing everything, but we want to be kind of right in the, uh, the sweet spot of um, hearing the arguments, testing it out, uh, not accepting everything at first, but needing good good proof for it. Right, and so the last chapter we looked at uh, how science, so we are told, explains everything. And if that's the case, then there's no need to allow a God in the picture because God is not necessary. Because we have an explanation, science explains it. Science right. explains, well, you know, why every, why everything how everything came into existence, why we're here, why the various laws of of physics and nature are here, and so we don't need God. Right, right. Where philosophy tends to be the area of um, expertise on answering the whys or uh, attempts to, yeah. um, even though it, it doesn't seem to have made any progress, according to, <laughs> to the physicists, in uh, hundreds of years, um, the, the physicists have tried to circumvent philosophy uh, but at the same time seem to be doing philosophy at the same time. Yeah, so you recall last time that then what, what really explains everything is that kind of uh, this generation out of nothing is where everything came from. And uh, as a result of that, we have uh, multiverses apparently that came out of nothing A lot as of well. them. Yeah, lots of them. And of course, if we have lots of uh, you know possibilities with regard to multiverses, then eventually you'd get us, right? right? So that's and the various laws of our particular universe. Right. So there you have it. Came from, uh, just spontaneously generated, uh, generated bazillions and bazillions of universes and more and more. <laughs> yeah. And then as a result, one of them happened to be ours, and so we exist, and the various laws of nature that allow for our universe exist as well. Right. Mitch now, in this next chapter, which he says, science and the human condition, says, wait a minute. Are we skeptical enough about this explanation about how things got off the ground? And he wants to use David Hume, right, the uh, Enlightenment philosopher who wrote in the 1700s, uh, as, uh, t- as a way to help us now to re-engage our skeptical, mm-hmm. you know, our sober skepticism. Right. right. And so he, he says... Hume focused on the empiricist side of science, that is, its experimental side, right? Empiricism has to do with sense perception, so what we can sense and, you know, feel and all that kind of stuff, see and stuff like that. So Hume focused on the empiricist side of science, its experimental side, despite the success that mathematics afforded Newton's physics. So you'll recall that Isaac Newton kind of created calculus to help him <laughs> yeah, to, ex- yeah, yeah. to to explain <laughs> the the um, describe the various laws of of gravity right mm-hmm. he says um and um hume uh and for hume knowledge must be ultimately grounded in as we mentioned 
empiricism, sense expression, right? Sense perception, rather. Even mathematics, he suggests, must answer to our observations, right? Right. And, and so seeing is believing, right? And so what he wants to do now is to say, okay, fine, so let's, let's uh, Hume now is an empiricist, right? Seeing is believing, our sense perceptions, uh, everything has to be grounded in our observations from they are based on our sense perceptions and so let's take a step back with regard to this explanation that we saw in the last chapter and make sure now that we're skeptical enough with regard to this explanation and what it's gotten us to he says we saw however that by taking science seriously hume got more than he bargained for <laughs> right right further encouraging his skeptical temperament and forcing him to recognize that we have no, and here it is, no non-secular arguments for the reliability of sense perception or reason. So my knowledge is based on sense perception, but I have no non-circular reason. How can I justify my sense perception? Well, I justify it. How do I know it's true? I know it's true because that's what I that's what my sense perception right. tells me. That's what it tells me to, so yeah. I'm going to believe it. Yeah. So, yeah, but how, why do you believe it? Well, because... Because it tells me to. It tells yeah. me to. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know what more you need from this. <laughs> yeah. And the same way with the reason, right? Reason is, again, justified by reason. Right. And so these are circular arguments, right? Why do you believe blue is blue? Well, because blue is blue. Duh, right? That makes sense. <laughs> makes sense, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but again, you know, you... You're, you're driving your car. Uh, you see the shimmer in the road on a hot day. Well, clearly there's water at the end of it. I'm supposed to believe my senses, and I come to it the point where I thought it was. But no, no, it's just further down, so I keep right. driving. Or I walk on the train tracks, and they come to a point. Well, I'm going to go to the point because I don't want the train to hit that point and go off the rail. Right. And I just keep walking, and I keep walking yeah. until I get to the changing station. They must have fixed that point along the way. So good, <laughs> good, good thing. Yeah. 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 So sober skeptics uh, realize that there's no non-circular arguments for the reliability of sense perception or reason. We have to use circular arguments. The problem with circular arguments is they don't tell us anything, right? <laughs> we live in, in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, right? So the, the, is Kalamazoo in Michigan? Yes. Why do you believe that? Well, because Kalamazoo is in Michigan. Right. That's a circular argument. Yeah. If I don't have a good justification, that doesn't give me... If I didn't believe Kalamazoo was in Michigan, saying that Kalamazoo <laughs> is in Michigan wouldn't convince me. Right. Well, right. Uh, nor are you saying anything new by it. You, right. you're, you if, if it wasn't, uh, uh, if you didn't believe that it wasn't off the bat, you wouldn't have said Kalamazoo is in Michigan. So. Right. And so things now begin to get worse, especially for humans, <laughs> right? Because he's an empiricist. He wants to base his knowledge on sense perception and reason. Right. And now let's look at science. Well, what we find is science is founded on, guess what? Sense perception and reason. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's going to be hard. So Hume had a choice, right? He could fully accept his skeptical conclusions and say, since sense perception and reasons, there's no non-circular justification for them, I guess we can't justify science, right? So he could, he could fully accept the skeptical conclusions and reject science and everything else, right? Or, right, he could go ahead and trust his cognitive faculties, mm-hmm. right, his ability to see and experience and mentally reason and that kind of stuff, thereby sustaining his devotion to science. He chose, Ooh. obviously, to sustain his devotion well, to science. You know, I, I have a feeling we could replace the word trust there with, with a different word. And you could you could maybe maybe exchange it with the word, I don't know, faith. Faith. Oh, faith that yeah. you're 
the, the, the your sense perception, what what your eyes are telling you, what your ears are are perceiving, what you're smelling, what you're touching, that those things exist purely based on faith. Yeah, yeah. Of course, now, uh, Mitch Stokes wants us to use trust, and so he says, um, Hume realized that true love always retri- requires trust. And, of course, his true love was science. Well, yeah, Hume's so, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so Hume, you know, wants us to trust science. <laughs> All right, so the first thing he does then is he looks at Hume with regard to Hume's account of causality. Yeah, uh, uh, um, kind of a, a big issue when you're dealing with um, causes. Uh, both you have the cause and effect, and you trace everything back to a single point, uh, or, or you know you have to believe the universe is never-ending, so you never come to that point. But either <laughs> way, um, he, he goes on here that says, Hume uh, believed that there is an external world, and he could have reliability of, of, for his reason about his experience in the world. Not everything in science, unfortunately, returned to him. Um, he says, uh, uh, when you see something, you, you're, what you're seeing is not exactly the cause of it. What you're seeing is just um, kind of what what happened. You're, you're not seeing, uh, he uses the example of, of a cue ball. When, when, when you're playing pool and you hit the cue ball towards the, the eight ball, um, you're not seeing what caused the cue ball to interact with the, the eight ball. What you're seeing is... Uh, the ball moving away, you hear a click, and that's pretty much it. Um, what he says here is that you don't really see the glue that links the motion to the motion of the other. So um, he says, if if you believe that the the cue ball was inhabited by tiny fairies, <laughs> uh, that those tiny fairies, once they made a clicking sound, they're the reason that the eight ball moves away because they they push it and that pushing creates a clicking sound. Yeah. So it's the fairies that so cause it's the, the fairies that cause it. Uh, so we're looking it. for the uh, why. Yeah. Why did it happen? Yeah. Not so much what happened. We know what happened. Right. The ball moved away from the cue ball. Right. But why did it happen? Well, it's clearly the fairies. <laughs> well, it's either that or there's some sort of uh, magnetic field maybe or uh, F equals M A. That could be <laughs> one. It, you you don't exactly know the reason why. Those are kind of right. and your explanation. Good. And so Hume is trying to get us to see that there's really no necessary connection. No, you know, uh, uh, th- that all we experience, because that's all we have is our right. sense experience, right. is we hit the one ball, it comes up to the other ball, there's a click, and the other ball moves. We can't, so causality for us is just that activity because that's all we see and that's all we experience. There's no necessary metaphysical, magical, maybe there is. Oh, it could <laughs> yeah. be, yeah. yeah. it could be, thing that's causing the one ball to, to uh, allow for the movement of the other ball. Mm-hmm. Because we don't experience that. Right. Right, all we experience that's all is, we have. That's yeah, all we have. Yeah, all we have is our experiences, right, our sense perception. So all we experience is that uh, we hit the one ball, it moves to the next ball, there's a click, and then the next ball moves. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Right. So causation, then, as he says in this section, is just one darn thing after another. <laughs> That's all we experience right. is one thing after another. Right. right? <laughs> and so he, he, his only point was to ask what we actually observe. And it's true, we don't observe the necessary connection. All we see in cases of causation is one thing happening and then another thing happening. We see in Hume's term only a what Hume called 
constant conjunction, right? These things are constantly conjoined. They're constantly linked in our experience with one another. And so we get into the habit, we might say, or the, uh, uh, you know, the expectation that when we when this thing happens, then the next thing is going to happen. But we never see causality. Right. So, uh, uh, we're Mayans uh, back in the day, and we, of course, uh, take our children up to be sacrificed because we care about the whole of, of the Mayan people. We throw our, our uh, babies into the fire. We have a prosperous season. Oh, that was so so good of the crop gods who accept our sacrifice. Uh, clearly, that, that was the case yeah. of the reason why, because yeah. we sacrifice children. The next year, we do the same thing. Why because not? Because it, yeah, it worked. Yeah. And, yeah, and, well, it didn't work this time. Well, I think what we got wrong was we didn't sacrifice enough people. If we just, you know, had maybe five more kids, then then we have to do it because now we're hungry, we're starving, and now if we sacrifice five more kids, there's also less mouths to feed. So five more kids is, you know, it's 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 a plus or minus either way. So yeah. so let, there's a win-win, win, right? Let's be on the safe or at least side here, the, yeah. except for the kids. Yeah, but. well, <laughs> they won't know. They yeah. Won't. So we sacrifice our kids again. Oh, the harvest is good. Clearly. Clearly, what we see is sacrificing kids equals a good harvest, and we have to make sure we have the right number right. in order to appease. So there is their causal connection. Right. Like yeah. It's clearly, it has, yeah. has to be the case, yeah. at least in, in, in that universe of the multiverses. Yeah. Yeah. So he says uh, that Hume t- taught us then by seeing this uh, countless constant conject, uh, conjunction, right, these things attached to one another over our lifetimes, we become conditioned to believe in the underlying <laughs> metaphysical glue, right? Nor, he says, can we help but believe in this glue. Nature, again, is too strong for us, right? But the fact that we never see the actual causal connection has important implications for Hume's view of scientific explanation. And not merely for those mechanistic explanations of the new mechanical physics, but for any explanation that we cannot directly observe. Right. So right. what we want to do with being good atheists is we want to say, uh, well... Or a good skeptic. A good skeptic. is yeah. Well, clearly we, we, we can't take into account uh, paranormal or... Uh, uh, deistic uh, um, uh, events like this uh, as as being the case. So we need to look for naturalistic explanations because if we if we don't, we we bring in other factors that we just don't want to happen. So yeah. clearly, what we have to accept are the um, physical mecha- mechanistic explanations only. Yeah, good. And he says that Hume realized that scientific explanations then, though, given this skepticism that he had and the inability to observe causality, scientific explanations have serious limitations, right? right? And we're we're kind of using, already, we have to realize we're using a stolen system because we have no non-circular justification for the system we're using. But then once we use it, Oh, we start running into into roadblocks. Circles on circles on circles, (laughs) right? (laughs) So he wants to give us a test case, and he wants us to consider gravity, right? So Newton's laws of universal gravitation, he tells us, is a mathematical law, but they are uncannily concise and precise. And they describe, notice, they describe the force between objects as diverse as planets and bowling balls, yet this is all quote right this is all it does it merely describes right. what will happen right well and, and and since pretty much einstein we've been trying to find kind of that unified field theory that will bring in gravity 
into the the single uh, um, kind of proto particle or, or whatever it might be. There's always the desire of trying to get the the gravitons and 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 other stuff to come over to that to that single unification theory. And so far, we haven't found it yet. So, uh, you know, uh, gravity is just theory, and it just seems like we're just describing the fairies pulling stuff down to the, to the <laughs> yeah. earth. In fact, like. that's what he says. Newton's laws allow <laughs> us to calculate. Right, numerically describe the gravitational force between the objects to perceive it. And that's yeah. right, but his laws doesn't tell us what causes the force. Force, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't explain the object's behavior. Wait. It doesn't answer the question: Why is the force thus? Right, and we're asking this question not because you know oh, people say, oh, you know, the science doesn't want us to say this, but it's what Hawkins and Krauss in our previous chapter said physics will do yeah. so we're we're wanting to take them at their word and say okay if if, if, if physics uh describes this then let's use this naturalistic uh, uh way of, of finding the whys we need to find the whys and unfortunately it doesn't seem like the whys are there for us well and and so uh uh uh, Mitch Stokes takes a step back and he says, now in light of the stupefying success afforded by this law, that is Newton's law, mm-hmm. it seems, uh, you know, a bit petty to criticize it for a minor drawback. <laughs> minor right? drawback that yeah. we're wanting yeah, it like to Like it doesn't be... tell us any, anything, <laughs> right? It just it describes, yeah. right? Uh, the, in fact, the top science, scientists of Newton's day also was concerned. Leibniz, right? Gottfried oh, Leibniz, especially Leibniz. thought yeah, <laughs> that Newton had uh, degenerated uh, the job of science. And in fact, he says this degeneration is one of the great changes made to philosophy during the scientific revelation. Scientists like Galileo and Newton believe that we should stop looking for unobservable explanations or causes right and just describe what's going on aristotle the aristotelian science had such explanations and causes right uh, and that was its ultimate goal he tells us yeah. right yeah so it, and it, it, so mathematical it descriptions were you know were rare but they they weren't uh, people doing math weren't general uh, general good Philosophers. They weren't genuine philosophers. They were just mathematicians. They were technicians. And anybody can be a technician. It takes the philosopher, right, the natural scientist, to explain, the natural philosopher to explain, as Aristotle did, why these things were happening. Mm -hmm. Newton didn't do it, and he didn't know why they happened, and didn't try to pretend that he knew why. For a while he did. I mean, the the Newton's spheres are, are, you know, almost known by him, almost occultic. Occultically, he tried to preserve the the spheres. Why why, why spheres? Because uh, God would want spheres for some odd reason. So, um, you know, he, he tried to keep it in there as long as possible. Yeah. But unfortunately, he couldn't find it. And so, uh, with with Aristotle, you you had you you had a why. You still had um, this this uh, kind of description, but you had more of a focus on well, why is this the case? So, uh, you know, fire goes up because it wants to go up. It's it's, it's in its nature. So th- there's the the why explanation that it tries to preserve. Once you hit kind of Galileo, uh, especially once you get to Newton kind of those things are out the window and yeah. so they're no longer want, part of science yeah you right? just want the, the yeah. description of so so aristotle did give us a why as you mentioned the nature right he said unobservable natures that is an internal essence in something right uh, something inside <laughs> the physical object that caused them to move to their 
natural place of rest, namely, for instance, the center of the universe, or in his case, it was the earth. The earth, the same thing, same thing. So it's literally in the rock's nature to move toward the center of the cosmos, and this was uh, what it did naturally. So it was natural for the you pick up the rock, throw it up. It'll it it its nature, its essence wanted to move toward the center of the universe. And so it acted out what it desired to do, mm-hmm. right? Well, and, and we kind of scoff and laugh at this now, but we have to realize that uh, the, the nature of kind of the scientific revolution uh, uh, process is to have uh, the, the um, kind of the uh, agreed upon uh, competing theory for the day. Then you have uh, certain things that happen that you, you say, uh, that, that really shouldn't be happening in, in our theory. Then you have enough of them come together so that you have uh, competing theories that come out and you have a revolution and so it follows this big big circuit. So we, we laugh at Aristotelian uh, uh, explanations. Yeah, explanations and models, yeah. but we, we did the same thing once we went from Newton to, to Einstein as far as, well, we, we know Newton had it right, but it's only until you get into... Uh, relativistic uh, uh, physics in college, do you realize that what you were taught just works, but first of all, we don't know why, but also it doesn't work as well as what we want it to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so the, the descriptions kind of fell away with with uh, the, the, the revolution into Newtonian mechanics, and so we just want to, to describe it because that seems to be all that we... Right, and so the, so the same experience that we had with... Um, relativistic uh, mechanics is the experience that these folks had with moving from Aristotle to Galileo mm-hmm. and, and and Newton, right? He says, can you imagine then, based on people now with the Aristotelian model, where everything had its essence and the desire to do certain things, he says, can you imagine then the uproar Galileo caused when he <laughs> suggested that natural philosophy should limit itself to what we can see? And that's not, not the na- invisible, whatever, in- natural essences that things have, but only we describe what we can see, mm-hmm. right? Um, so uh, he says, Galileo's success at mathematically describing the behavior of physical uh, objects was difficult to overlook, and so we had to take him seriously. And, of course, Newton even more so, right? So Newton realized that his law of gravity, though, didn't specify what caused the attractive forces between two objects. It was an inscrutable, right, in physics as, you know, in love. And so Newton didn't try, he says. Right. In fact, he famously said that he wasn't going to uh, to give us any hypothesis. Right? He gave us the capital G for the gravitational constant of the universe. What more do you want from Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. And so this was considered a huge problem with Newton's physics. There seemed to be no mechanical cause. That is, no cause that depended on direct contact of pushes and pulls. It was just, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. What the, I'm not going to give you a hypothesis of why it works, but this is how it works. Right. This is a description of what's going on. So Newton didn't want to, so clearly Hume comes along and gives us gives us the reason why, because we need to... We need to know why things happen. Right. And Hume, again, says it's just a description. 
he says the reason why it happens is because we have <laughs> come into uh, we've gotten into the habit of seeing things work this way mm-hmm. right causal connection is just a our, our habit of putting these of constantly conjoined things and we expect this stuff to happen right all right all right so um um uh Mitch wants us to. Mitch Stokes wants us to take science seriously. He said Hume inherited Newton's restraint regarding unobservable causes. He realized, however, that when it came to gravity, the problem was even worse than simply dividing <laughs> some hidden cause of the gravity. We can't even observe the forces themselves. Right. right? Hume believed we only observe and feel the effects of these alleged forces, not the actual forces. Right. So. Uh, we know that we weigh one six uh, our uh, weight uh, on the moon as we do on Earth, but that's just a mathematical equation that that gives us a relationship between two bodies. We don't. Th- there's no kind of uh, measurement for oh, here's the kind of gravity particles that we see are are pulling us down in in some some fashion. It's you know it's not like a uh, a magnet where we see the the, the flakes of. Uh, of uh, uh, iron going around the right. magnet, and even then we don't really see. We just see the effects of of whatever that field takes. Yeah. So, uh, so Hume believed that uh, that we observe and feel the effects of these electric forces, but not the actual forces, like you were saying. But uh, uh, when we talk about gravity, we mean certain effects. We don't we don't actually mean that uh, that uh, this kind of uh, kind of a voodoo explanation of well, you know, you you experience this because of the the waves of of the ether washing over you and and pulling you back towards the surface right right so these were aristotle's explanations right his essences his natures his occult powers right (laughs) the humors Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. and so we have to reinterpret words like force power and energy if they are to have you know legitimate meaning that is reinterpret them from the way aristotle did they're Mm -hmm. not you know uh, according to the new physics with Galileo and then Newton, they weren't occult powers, essences, and natures, right? So Hume was. Uh, so this was a problem, though, because we can't again see these causes. Because that's all we're we're given. We're given just our sense perception. Yeah. We have to remember that. Right. That's all. That's all we're able to uh, appropriate here. Yeah, and so. He says, so then Hume was painly aware of the epistemological problems associated with unobserved causes. He says we shouldn't ask too much of natural philosophy. We should be cautious, circumspect, and skeptical. That's the natural, general, skeptical response that we should have, right? Right. And so Hume believes then that whenever laws seem to refer to forces or gravity or anything else, that we don't observe, we should think of them not as referring to actual causes or powers, but simply, you know, as a way to keep track of the appearances. Right. This is the way that it appears to us. This right? is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. So Hume's aim then uh, of the science cannot be revealed uh, the intellectual character of the universe, but simply to catalog the regularities that causal sequences. Um, reflect right, so we catalog these things, and we do that with math, basically, right? Right. So we we have uh, f equals m a as as uh, as Newton would would allow us to have until Einstein came around. So we were able to the force that that Aristotelian word force is uh, mass times acceleration, and so whatever force now means is just well, this is the the push or pull on something that. That an object traveling at 
such and such acceleration with such and such weight. Right. And, other, and this is the mathematical way to to ex, to describe that. Right. right. But there's no uh, internal uh, so force. So there's 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 nothing that tells us that um, uh, the the object moves in this way because it desires to or right. or what, whatever right. it might be. This the, is just we we else. we we you know we catalog the regularities. This right. is what it does. Right. And right. so with 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 falsification models of of these explanations what you know why does this occur uh because this and and if if you have again so many uh different uh, um flaws in in that theory then it upends it and is science wrong would we say well uh, uh newton uh had the, the the best science of the day and it it turned out to be incorrect and so clearly science is is, is lost we're, we're done uh, we, we believe that it was science and and so Our trust and so when we, when we say today science it's this big capital s godlike science of well science tells us this well no what science does is it catalogs uh uh in in limit uh these observations that we kind of say here seems to be some regularity to it uh, and then once we get into in- induction and, and uh, morality, uh, things kind of even go more right. out the window. But right. at least with science, uh, it only tells us um, these things happen, and it seems like you can uh, match up a, a mathematical equation with a regularity if yeah. it occurs. Right. And so he says all explanation explanatory theories must consist in what Hume's called obscure and uncertain speculations, hypotheses, uh, or hypotheses in the pejorative sense that Hume sometimes shared with Newton and which they both um, had problems with. Hypotheses, he tells us, and here's his point, whether in the pejorative sense or not, are unobserved explanations. That's what a hypothesis is, an unobserved explanation. And he tells us, and he wants to emphasize this because mm-hmm. he wants us to understand this, he says, I cannot overemphasize this. Uh, we'll look at this in more detail later, but the distinction between what we observe And what we infer from these observations is crucial, right? Otherwise, all matter of folly ensues. So there's a distinction between observing something and then our inference, right, Mm -hmm. from the things that we observe. There is a distinction there, and he wants us to be clear that we maintain that distinction, right? We observed the the billiard ball hitting, and, and, and we observed the clicking sound, right? And then we infer somehow that that caused, that caused the next billiard right. ball to move, right? We don't observe that. We observe the next billiard ball moving, mm-hmm. but we don't observe the causality of it, right. right? We observe the movement, the click, and then we observe the next ball moving. We don't observe causality. Right. We infer causality. So if, if we think about it as, you know, we, we tend to think of the forces moving through it, which sounds, uh, you know, metaphysical, uh, Skywalker would do it. The, the force flows through us. And so the force <laughs> flows from the stick to the, the cue ball and that transfers into it. But we don't actually see that happening. So how do we how do we measure that? It only seems like we what we do is, again, we infer that somehow uh, the, the force transfers from from the cue ball to the eight ball, and then that's what propels it forward. But we don't actually physically, naturalistically, with our senses, see, we, we hear it, but we don't, we don't see it to say this is what caused the, the eight ball to move because 
of the interaction, if any. And so he calls this epistemological restraint. <laughs> this this making this distinction and not and not and being skeptical about our inferences, right? He says this epistemological epistemological restraint, however, quickly diminished the credentials of our cognitive faculties. The limits of a sense experience undermine common sense, threatening to take science with it. We do not see that there is an external world. We do not see that reason is reliable, and that the cue ball causes the eight ball to move. And even if we ignore these skeptical results, science, according to Hume, is still limited to merely cataloging and describing what we can directly observe. The success of science... Uh, for example, the ability of Newton's, you know, theories, uh, laws of gravity and that sort of thing, ironically led to skepticism about gravity itself, leaving only the husk of its effects. For Hume, things came full circle like the snake eating its tail, right? <laughs> so because we only make these observations, we can't, we, that's as far as we can go. We don't directly observe these other types of things. That's, so we're limited, science is limited in what it can do for us, Right. And so, you know, thinking about the last chapter where science now explains everything, Hume says, wait just a minute. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. That's going too far. A lot too far. Yeah. 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 So he says, here's my point here is that Hume valiantly tried to take science and skepticism seriously, attempting to follow reason wherever it led. His most successful moments were almost his most despondent. <laughs> right, because moments. he's using reason, reason, which he can't observe, right. and he's trying to be careful, but at the same time, he's also using a system that he's it, it essentially fails upon the first step. Yeah, so. yeah. So for Hume, then, science led to skepticism, which mm -hmm. in turn led to weariness about the reach of science, or weariness about the reach of science. Uh, this taking science and skepticism, it's taking it pretty seriously. Right. right? Yeah. So yeah. We, we should look to, to him because he seems to be uh, at least trying to be that sober skeptic. That's right. He's trying to be consistent in his skepticism. Right? So yeah. postulating uh, multi-universes and that uh, uh, just physical physics uh, seems to bring about life. Those, yeah. those seems to be... And these are all of these things... Multi-universe, we do not observe. Right. And so Hume would say, well, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> what are you, that's not science. Yeah. Right? It's almost like uh, uh, if, if um, uh, you have uh, uh, an offshoot of, let's say, like Christianity, who says, oh, well, you know, if you don't engage in, in multiple wives, uh, you're, you're damned to hell. Well, that seems to be overreaching what they claim that, you know, the, the source, the originator of, of that maybe religion yeah. tends to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's a perfect one-to-one -one parallel, <laughs> but it's what I observe. Right. So <laughs> science leads to skepticism because all we have is what we can observe and our observations uh, don't observe things like, you know, multiple universes, mm -hmm. right? That kind of stuff. So, Boy, yeah. science seems uh, like it's heading down the wrong track. We might have to give up science <laughs> yeah. and turn towards something else. So he wants us to be sober skeptics, and when we do that, it, science may not take us as far as we would like for it to, to take us, right? Um, he says, I think Hume is right, but as we will see, Hume's lesson has been lost on today's scientific, scientific uh, unbelievers. If we take science and reason as seriously as, say, the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science <laughs> says it does, he name. says, yeah, we should all show a bit more 
restraint mm-hmm. about science. Yeah, but but no one wants to listen to what they themselves can observe. They want to know why. Yeah, that that's yeah. that that's uh, why people. Uh, are, are going to um, s- certain people like uh, Dawkins and trying to, um, uh, you know, l- look at well, you know, why why don't we kill each other? Why uh, why should we do things? Why um, you know why should I go clean my room or, or stand up and and, and sit up straight uh, as as part of my outward character <laughs> as how I present myself to the world? That's right. So uh, you you are seeing um, a lot more. Um, Kind of political and uh, scientific people taking the place of of uh, of of religion, and it's starting to become a new religion. and And I think if you look at kind of the political and uh, landscape of of how people treat um, uh, certain uh, people from podcasts that uh, that are branching out into the world and, and trying to offer explanations why it, uh, you, you probably see why the popularity is there and from our worldview that's clearly the case because Romans 1 tells us we, we all worship something whether it be man or beast and so we're replacing the image of the incorruptible God with corruptible man and yeah. people uh, have, have shirked off God and, and have tried to kill him and uh, they're coming back and, and saying now now what do we worship we, we need it and so that's why you're seeing um, especially in politics uh, w- words like um, must do and and uh, you know you have scripture and the priests uh, that 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 uh, you know present what you must do and you if, if you fall outside of that you're a heretic yeah. you have to have the right opinion yeah. so uh, we're, we're seeing um, that that need to worship come come kind of uh, back Full into circle. back in yeah For, uh, no golden caps yet but uh, you know th- th- there's a there's a bull outside wall street it's not quite gold but uh, it's, it's, it's almost there yeah all right well that does it for our time today yeah. so uh, we'll do chapter five next uh and and uh we'll we'll see where we stand with science on on that so uh join us next week